follow the Four Corners Podcast on social media. Like us on Facebook, Four Corners Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Podcast Four Corners. And check us out on Instagram, Four Corners Podcast. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. I want to take this time to apologize to the television audience for what they're about to see. It's Wednesday, and you know what that means. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Four Corners Podcast. I'm Shad, here with Matt and Brad. Guys, how are you doing? Uh, doing good, Shad. I'm doing well. I'm glad to hear it. We are glad you all chose to join us for this episode. Thank you for coming along on this one. We'll get our shout-outs taken care of. The first one goes to Collar and Elbow, the wrestling brand, collarandelbowbrand.com. Use the promo code Four Corners Podcast. That's number four, capital C and corners, capital P and podcast. Save ten percent off your order, and you can still get your Brody Lee Memorial shirts. All the proceeds go to the Huber family. Mm-hmm. And our other shout out goes over to Matt. Uh, that goes to Orlando Cologne. Orlando Cologne. So you know this this episode is dropping on uh, January twentieth, twenty twenty one. And Orlando Cologne is the man I voted for for president of the United <laughs> States of America. I don't think he's being sworn in for some reason, but he should be. He should be. His uh, his leadership would would steer us out of these dark times. But yeah, at the very least, he should be nominated for I don't know, <clears throat> secretary of ass kicking or something. You know, speaking, he should. What he should Orlando, be is on my. Oh, go ahead, hmm? Matt. I was going to say, what he should be is on my television screen. Uh, wrestling. That's true. That's true. Yeah, you know, speaking, speaking of Orlando Cologne, he uh, he was an alumni of IWA Mid-South in 2005. Brad, that sounds like a segue. It does sound like a segue. Yes, yeah, so <laughs> we're kind of going a little out, out of our usual spot, so we're going to be doing some... Indie matches from the mid two thousands to into well the twenty tens tonight, and um, I would say I would say if you're going to do a comp of the three promotions we're going to be talking about, I would say these matches would probably make any comp. So what we're what we're starting with tonight is from two thousand and five. We're going to be doing Samoa Joe and Necro Butcher from. 2011 we're going to be doing mike quackenbush versus eddie kingston and then from 2013 we're going to be doing william regal versus cassius ono from nxt so these are um what's the best way i can put it they are notable matches that are are usually talked about but they they don't most of the the lists i see people make they don't go on like they're their top 10 lists, but they're still very notable. I would say, uh, I would say if you did like a top hundred list of the two thousands that Joe and Necro butcher would be lurking in the bottom half of a lot of lists. That would make sense. Maybe yeah. the bottom fourth. Like it's, um, it was, 
<laughs> it was it was big at the time. I would say it has a reputation. And it really I would say it helped really cement like Necro Butcher <clears throat> is like a top end talent and started getting him gigs other way other places. I had um I had heard of this match. I had actually never seen it, but it did get a lot of hype back in the day. If you were um if you were on the internet in the uh, kind of the wrestling message boards, then you would have probably heard of this match or heard people raving about it. Yeah, because it kind of came on the edge of, and I vaguely remember it like the was it a Chikara match where they people got upset because it looked like Necro Butcher and someone else were being a little rough with uh, a couple of youngsters. I don't remember that one at all. Uh, I don't remember. I saw a shoot on this, like, recently. Um, mm-hmm. That's kind of like... I, I vaguely remember that, but... um, It was... I don't know. The wrestling message boards were different back then. Like, your ability mm-hmm. to see everything is not what it is now. Yeah. Like, you had to really hope someone was going to upload it. I remember seeing this at the time, but I had not seen it in a long time. Um... And going in, I was a little worried I was going to be horrified at some of the stuff they did, which I was, but not not to the degree I thought I was going to be. Like, it wasn't Necro Butcher and Loki, which really had um, a lot of dangerous spots, and this really only had about three-ish bad ones, I would say. Uh, well, we'll dig into it. It's 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 got some... The exploder off the apron was like the worst one, obviously. Oh gosh! But like, um, there were a couple spots I thought were gonna end up bad, and they, they, Joe protected him pretty good on a couple of things that looked like they were potentially gonna be bad. So, um, like the power bomb onto the chair, Joe, Joe kind of angled him good on that, and then the 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 power bomb the onto the suplex. guardrail. Joe Ooh. Joe and him like wrangled some things that didn't look as bad as it could have been. Uh, and there was a suplex on a German suplex on the chair. Oh, that's right. It was a German. Yeah. Uh, okay. So this is this match is the, the notable spots Brad's talking about. He talked about the exploder from the apron to the floor. And when we say that, the floor. Yeah. We mean the bare concrete. And yeah. I don't. I, this there was absolutely no pads out, and I mean, I mean, I don't really remember a lot of this era of Ring of Honor. This is but, IWA Mid South. Oh, sorry, it was IWA Mid South. My apologies. Um, that well, that makes sense because I was like, this looks very like ECW ish. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense if it was like an Ian Rotten Actually, production. Hold on, Ian and Act. Yeah. They were talking about this as their debut in Philadelphia, so this might have been the ECW arena. Let me look, because I had it on my phone earlier. You sent us the card earlier, and I believe that uh, Ian and Axel were actually tagging somewhere else on the card. Ian and Axel Rotten. Yes, I think so. This match starts, and the guys are just kind of... They just, like, rip into each other immediately. They just start wailing on each other from the start. Which, if you're going to have a hot match, that's one of my favorite ways to see it start. Because it's, it's not any of this, like, you know, we're sizing each other. It's just like, ding, and they just they just tear into each other. And it seems like about three minutes in, Necro Butcher's like, well, uh, might as well blade now. And just, 
there it goes. Oh no, he didn't blade. He um he had cut himself. He had cut. I I, I only know this because I listened to a shoot interview. He had cut. He had oh, bladed. Okay. He had bladed, and they mentioned it. They mentioned it in on commentary that he had just gotten in on a flight the night before. But he'd been working yeah. big Japan, so he bladed pretty good there, like a night or uh, two before. So he said he called a couple spots because he figured if he landed good, yeah, it would pop open. So that's where he didn't actually blade. He just like he just <laughs> he just worked it so Joe would open the cut for him. Ah, well, yeah. for and for those sorry to cut you off, Chad. For those yeah. who are not aware, have never seen any of it. Big Japan is, uh, it's pretty much, it's largely like a deathmatch yeah. promotion in Japan. It's, it, I, I felt like there was a, in the, in kind of like around the time of ECW or in, certainly in the wake of ECW closing, there were all of these different promotions that emerged that kind of fit into that deathmatch niche. Well, I think Big Japan goes into the mid nineties, but Japan had like mm-hmm. frontier martial arts um, mm-hmm. which is FMW, they had Wing, mm-hmm. and then they had Big yeah. Japan, and then there was, um, was it the IWA over there? Mm-hmm. Was was FMW, did it start, was it started by Onita, or was it just, yeah, it was, was Onita, that, part of... that was Onita's thing. And then Onita, I think, left and did Wings, right? He Wasn't he behind Wings? I'm not sure. I think, I only remember Wing, I think, because the Headhunters were from Wing. Mm. I'm pretty sure. But like FMW, I wouldn't necessarily classify as a um, deathmatch death promotion because they were kind of like they were kind of like your typical three ring circus where they had a bit of everything. That's true. I remember they had they did have some deathmatch stuff that was kind of prominently featured, but they did have other stuff. And I think their biggest star was Hayabusa, who was not deathmatch at all. Yeah, and he's um he's. We could do an entire show probably on him just because he was a really fascinating worker and character who should have arguably been bigger than he was. Oh, but he I mean, his neck. he literally broke his neck and was never able to recover and then actually passed away not that long ago. I think yeah. last like five years. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I just know with him, I've seen matches of his, but I've seen him fall on his head a lot and it's hard to watch now. Yeah. 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 The the two biggest spots that are in this, we mentioned the exploder to the floor. There's a early on there's a power slam on the floor. That made that was early. Yeah. And that, that was like two minutes in or something. That made me cringe. Honestly, yeah. this entire match it's weird because I mean, back in the day, I think my opinion has really changed. Like if I had watched this contemporaneously back in the day in like the uh the, the mid two thousands I would have been like, oh my god, this match is awesome. Like, I, it would have been, I would have been like a lot of people did at the time, like really ranking it high, because I think at the time you weren't really seeing this type of thing. It was very spectacle. Really s- yeah, and it was just, it was brutal. Like this was a brutal match. It looked like it oh, honestly yeah. looked like Joe was trying to to murder him. It looked like Joe was yeah. literally trying to injure him, like like for real. It almost it had a really like really really tight worked shoot type of thing yeah mm-hmm. um according to necro butcher like obviously joe had input but but necro butcher called this well the the two spots i was gonna mention because i knew they were coming mm-hmm. and i wanted to get i wanted to get a look at them because i'm like okay what happened here did did joe dump him on his head you know did they were they going up and the spot got kind of bobbled on the? that's not what it looks like 
this looks both of those spots look like <clears throat> Necro, first of all, <coughs> wasn't going over appropriately for it, and then second, he didn't tuck his head. So it, it, it like on that power slam, if he had like gotten a little, I thought it was botched. I didn't think. I, well, I thought I th- at first I thought it was botched, but then I thought maybe Joe did it that way so that he would like to protect his head, so that he would bounce off of Joe and kind of like, but they could still it still looked like he you know slammed his head on the ground. It did not look that way to me. No, like if it, that if they did it safely then all kudos to them like that's joe really being like a just a i know he's a great worker that's that's him being a really really good subtle worker where he's protecting like his opponent because it looked yeah. it looked like a botched move to me and it literally looked so if people for, for those who have not seen it the audience out there this is how it was like you know how with the power slam like you see like say dustin Rhodes do it yeah you know it's that quick snap where it's like he pulls the guy over and the guy is like tucked in so the guy lands on like his back or his upper shoulders, uh, but it's a really like tight, quick move. But the guy is protected because, you know, he, he, Dustin or whoever's doing the move is, is controlling the momentum and he's safely tucking the guy's head mm-hmm. inside. It did no, that wasn't it. It literally looked like Joe took him, got him in the power slam spot, but instead of like rolling him over so the guy would land on his back or the upper body, it just looked like he drove Necro's face, face and forehead. Yeah right into the ground and it looked it looked botched to me it looked scary as hell i don't know if this was the spot or was it just before where necro got busted open but he was just bleeding he got got busted he got busted when joe was punching him in the face i think necro had him oh had him go at the spot before they even got out of the ring i think there was a point where joe was like giving him some punches of the face you could see the side of his face like turn color so I think he had Joe bust his cut hard way, and then okay. like he wasn't getting the blood he wanted. So then he did the exploder off the apron because the, to get it really, really going. It it was just the, the power slam spot really made me cringe. It just See, I was like I thought oh my god I'm like oh my god he busted his head crack open. This I, is I, one of those. Mm-hmm. Finish your thought, Matt. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say like Ed, I don't know if this was actually the case or if it's just like. Necker's forehead is kind of oddly shaped, which I actually think it's the case. But toward the end of the match, I almost, I almost thought like his his forehead was like swelling, which I guess it could have been because he was bleeding. But his head looked like mis- misshapen to me, and I'm like, oh my god! Uh, if you, if you did the power slam interviews. spot actually like hit him in the face? Like he really just cracked his dome right on the cement. Yeah. If you watch, if you watch like old, um, if you watch shoot interviews with him, he's got like he's got a weird head going on. Hmm. So, Matt, to go to what you were saying, um, when you see, like, Joe or, or Dustin or whatever do do the power slam, okay, I'm, I'm going to pull back the curtain a little bit on this because, you know, I'm not in the business anymore. Who cares? But you, part of a power slam is the guy taking it is cutting a front bump. And the guy who's taking you over, part of his responsibility is I'm taking you over – I'm pulling your head to make sure you don't land on it. Like I'm helping you complete the rotation. So guys who have really good power slams are able to take someone who's going in for a front bump like that and accelerate it and like snap it off. Or they're strong enough that they can take it. And when they take you over, they're just able to control you the whole way. Right. Cause like Goldberg's big power slam. He did in that match with Hugh Morris. Like that's not a fast one. 
but he was strong enough that he just took Morris over for it. Can I ask you a question? Just because yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a curiosity I have. Now, would doing it to someone on a ring with a little spring to it be different than trying to do it on cement that has no give to it? I mean, you, your landing's going to be rougher. I mean, like, um, does that affect, like, would it, does it give you a little, le- like, enough enough of a decrease in lift on both of your parts that it could... Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, because I would um, imagine a spring help. I, I imagine a ring helps you propel yourself a little bit, even if it's only minor. But like, it gives you some. It gives you a little help because it has give. Let me put it this way: the rings I worked in were not springy. Um, they had a little bit of padding on them, but they weren't springy. <clears throat> so, for for doing that bump, and I never did a power slam on the outside bump. But for doing that, you know, my front bump would be the same. Uh, you know, I'd I'd just up and go, but it doesn't look like Necro, like, rotated at all. And that's why I'm looking at it, and I'm like, um, not to cast too much blame, but that looks more like a Necro thing than a Joe thing as a botch. On the Exploder, too. Because like I said, he wasn't he wasn't rotating over and he wasn't tucking his head. He just kind of landed face first on both of them. And I don't know if Necro is of the opinion like, ah, oh, my face is already like this. Who cares if I land on it? Yeah, it's just hard to watch. I think, like I said, uh, I think he, according to his shoot, he was using those to try and get that blood. Good going. God, man! Use the run to the ring post or something instead. Don't face dive onto the concrete. I mean, I mean, should we should we talk about the fact that um, Necro Butcher went to college at like the age of fourteen because he's like a legitimate genius? He, and we're not even exaggerating. I think he's like a part of Mensa. He, I think he has even been tested. He is he has a legit genius level IQ. He's just yeah. crazy as hell <laughs> for uh, the, some of the stuff he's done. Yeah, you know, for yeah. for a guy though. For a guy that was never in the big leagues, like if you hear him talk about it, he's really like he pretty much talks about like man, he's like I traveled the world on like someone else's <sighs> dime and I got to do all of this stuff because of wrestling. Like I don't have a single regret. I'm happy for him. He figured out what worked, made his niche, and became a notable name. There's no way in hell I would have done it that way, but I'm happy for him. And he, like, he was, like, in that same one, he's talking about, like, I hate these guys that come in with all these DVDs and they're trying to sell people all this stuff. And he's, like, he's, like, you know, he's, like, if you see me after a show, like, he's, like, just bring me whatever. Like, I will sign whatever the fuck you want me to sign, and I won't charge you a dime for it. Like, you can bring yeah. me beer and stuff, but, <laughs> like, like, I'm not going in for that, like... People want to pay their money, like, pay their money and come and, like, I'll entertain you. Yeah. I, um, I'll go ahead. No, no, it's fine. It's fine, Mike. Go on. Um, I didn't hear the entire, um, segment, but I know, uh, Jim Cornette was talking about him or was asked about him on his podcast. And I don't typically listen to Jim Cornette, but I did, um, I did hear this clip about him. Unfortunately, not on the entire way through, but someone did ask him about Necro, and he was actually fairly complimentary about him. Um, and I think he was – wasn't he kind of saying like – did you have you guys heard this? Yeah, I've heard it. No, I haven't. Uh, oh, you've heard it, Brad? Yeah, he pretty much just says like the guy has like a unique outtake on wrestling, and he's like legitimately a genius <clears throat> and doesn't really have anything bad to say about him. 
Yeah, I think he was kind of saying that he... I think Necro actually did quite well for himself for like the time period that he did. Uh, I don't know if he if, if his time had been coming around now, like he he would have probably been unique enough that he would have done well, but I don't know if he would have been as big. Yeah. Um, but Jim, Jim was kind of saying like he he um, I think it was kind of almost saying too that he was he may have been bigger in a different era. <laughs> Um, but he's different because I mean, he, it, Necro had like some size to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he also, in a way, wasn't as like big as he could have been. I mean, he's he's reasonably tall for wrestling. He's like six two. He's built at six two. Yeah. So that's but he, reliably six foot or five eleven. But he, I mean, I feel like I've I've seen him wrestle for like Ring of Honor, and I he didn't strike me as like a small dude. Like he had, that might actually be like a legit six yeah. two. I'm just and saying he, that usually build heights yeah. are two or three inches taller. Mm-hmm. But he like his physique was not like he wasn't a huge dude like a like a Bruiser Brody type where he's Bruiser Brody was clearly like like muscular yeah but i think and, i think necro's physique worked for him because i think a guy like him and like what his gimmick was you don't mm-hmm. want him to be like built and you don't want him to be fat like you want him to be a little sloppy which he was mm-hmm. he's got size to him but you know he's probably got some love handles in there you know yeah well that's what jim was saying jim was saying that he um he also did he didn't have like a certain physique that actually would have gotten him over. Like he brought up like a uh, killer Tim Brooks. Uh, and I haven't seen enough killer Tim Brooks, but I've seen some of Tim Brooks's like uh, Japan stuff. Mm-hmm. And the guy was unique because he, he, he had a similar look to Necro and that they both look like just greasy hillbilly types. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Tim Brooks had this like, like a pot belly to him. Mm-hmm. And you think like that wouldn't necessarily like work, but it did because it it was kind of that era of of wrestling, like in the seventies and the early eighties, where that actually worked. Like mm-hmm. you, you could be like a guy who looked he looked kind of gross and fat like that because you also had this like era or mystique aura or mystique about you that you actually probably were like a legit ass kicker. Yeah. And I think I did think Necro did have that because he, I mean, he obviously he was he did crazy shit, but he also did seem like the sort where it's like this dude. If you got in a bar fight with this dude, like you don't know what the fuck's gonna happen. Like yeah. this dude, this dude could maybe like legit, like tune you up. This dude's gonna hit you with anything he can lay hands on. Oh, this dude's gonna headbutt you until he's like bleeding from the forehead, and you don't know. And you might end like in a in a bar fight. Necro Butcher's the kind of guy that he he may end up instead of hitting you with the bottle, he might hit you with the ashtray and then try to stub out a cigarette in your eye. Kind of yeah. crazy. Yeah. And I really think, like, in the 80s, he would have had Puerto Rico as an option. But I think even if he had come along about 10 years later, I think his options in Japan would have been much better because of the different landscape. Like, I think um, I think companies like DDT might have been willing to give him, give him work based on his look and stuff. Yeah. The... Um, it, it struck me that if you had Necro around in the territory days, he would probably fill a similar slot to like Abdullah. And you bring in this, this guy who has this mystique and this, he's not a big monster like Abdullah, but he's the, the, the psychopath that comes in and goes after somebody 
And she's like, oh, crap, Necro's here. What's going to happen? He In that era, I think he could have filled that role and had plenty of success, too. I don't think you really have someone in the current day who fills that same like niche that, that he did, except for maybe like Nick Gage. Nick Gage is, I don't... Probably... Nick Gage is like a, a different animal to me, I think. Yeah, that's true. And Nick Gage has been around probably... He probably started around like the same time as Necro. Wasn't he like in one of the OG like CZW guys? He was one of the original uh, CZW guys, and I feel like was heavier, like weight wise. He actually seems like he's slimmed down and gotten in shape. Well, prison. Will he's do a that weird to one you. because he. <laughs> That's uh, true. Yeah. Um, it's weird because he was actually the I I because. In the early 2000s, it was like, you know, the tape training and everything. I actually saw, like, quite a few of those early CCW shows, mm-hmm. which weren't which weren't good. But it was, like, <laughs> it was him and his, his shoot brother, Justin Payne, who were, they were, like, the big stars of CCW. Mm-hmm. I hated that. Every, the, who, I, there were way too many mm-hmm. Justins back in the day, because there was Justin oh, Sane, yeah. Justin Credible, um, and then, like, Justin Payne, like way too many guys were aping that that gimmick back and in then, the day. Then they would yeah. do things that didn't even make any sense. You have Justin Credible, Justin Payne, Justin Sane, Justin Blood, and it's like, wait, you 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 get the joke, right? Justin Blood. No, they obviously didn't. Yeah. Um. So I mean, you you mentioned um. Joe takes care of Necro in some places. The one that stood out to me was that German suplex because Joe kind of eyeballs it. And when he goes to throw Necro, <coughs> he don't throw him directly on it. He kind of got like, him like he kind of he kind of did it. So Necro's shoulder would take the chair out. Yeah. Necro's shoulder hit the back of the chair on the way down, which knocked it over. But he didn't actually land on it, which I mean, that's that's some quality way of taking care of somebody because it still looks just rough but i had to watch it back to to make sure i saw it right i mean that's 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 good on some and the thing that like uh, other than the the power slam and the exploder that made me uncomfortable about this is how much blood is smeared all over both guys at the end well joe I'm just smeared like, it on himself sh- at the beginning well i mean just how much they both end up with on him i'm kind of like ah you know, because the work I do takes me into the corrections uh, facility sometimes, and I had to have hepatitis vaccines, and I look at that, and I'm like, um, that makes me really uncomfortable. Do you, um, do you, just, to, just to go a bit into Necro Butcher's history, he is also one of my favorite Shikara characters of all time. <laughs> oh, yeah? Do either of you want to take a guess at who he was? Wasn't he, uh, was he CP Monk? Yes, he was CP Monk, the straight-edge <laughs> chipmunk. And CM Punk got so butthurt about that, too. Of course, of course he did. It's <laughs> almost a jinx, but I mean... But it, 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 of course he did, but then, like, Colt comes in and works, like, angles with Colt Cabunny years later because, you know, he actually has a sense of humor. Yeah. Colt seems like one of those guys that <clears throat> would be a good guy to get to know and work with in wrestling, and Punk hey, seems like the there's, guy. There's, so, 
I know people don't there there's more I know more than one person involved in wrestling that does not have a good opinion of Colt. But Colt also uh. seems to be open to things because if you stay open minded there can be money involved instead of like <laughs> being a douche. But I've heard I've heard I've heard more than one person not have a good opinion of Colt. Uh, I've heard from a couple of people who have interacted with him that yeah. have not had a good experience. Yeah. He, um, I, I think he, I think he can take the attitude where if it's not like gonna, if it's not gonna make him money or benefit mm-hmm. him in some way, he can be a little like, he can brush you off or be abrasive. Yeah, that's mm. what I've heard. Which I mean, I get it's a business, but it's also like you can't you don't really like in in engender people being on your side or being fans of you if you're gonna be kind of like yeah, shitty that, behind the scenes like that that's yeah. fair i will say but, like um i've heard that but then i have ordered stuff from him in the past and he'll just like sign random things and like stuff them in the order for you so mm-hmm. i mean yeah it's wrestling everyone's it can be a little weird to read. yeah, yeah. It, it, that that's true. Um, Though I've 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 and, from fans I've only really heard like in people behind the scenes like people like the Bucks I've only really heard good things about. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, yeah, I've heard that too. I've heard that they. Um, I've heard many stories about them. If they're at like a, a signing or something like that, they'll just they'll hang around and sign like whatever people want. And like I know someone who said like they're. Um, their handlers wanted to charge their daughter and they told their handler they're not charging an eight-year-old and took pictures and signed stuff for them. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's very fair. Yeah, I've heard the Bucks are, are, are really good to get along with. So, you know, more power to them. We need, honestly, wrestling needs more people like that <laughs> and, to kind um, of change the image from the money-grubbing carny jack wagon to, to something a little better with fans and that sort of stuff. And I just want to call them out uh, because I've seen their behavior over the years. And um, Adam Pierce and Ethan Page seem like good stand-up dudes <laughs> because they've called out bad behavior. I don't remember. Uh, Ethan okay. Page called out that douche <clears throat> that attacked those kids that Adam Pierce was all over. Was he all over Bill DeMott or who was he? He went after someone hard, like over one of those scandals. Hmm. You know what? I'm gonna Google that real quick. Adam Adam Pierce. Are you uh, are you talking about Scrap Daddy Adam Pierce? Yeah. <laughs> about to job uh, Bre- Roman Reigns Adam Pierce. Yeah. He's no he's no longer in the match. Oh, he's not. No, I actually would be actually <laughs> no no joke like legit interested in in a Roman Reigns Adam Pierce match, but no. It, uh, something happened where he basically he like gave up his spot to Kevin Owens. Oh, you know, what's oh, weird okay. is um... it's like, no offense. I'm sure that'll be a good match, but it's also like, we've already, we've been seeing Kevin Owens versus Roman Reigns. I think like two or yeah. three times now, like in the last two months, like I think they've wrestled a couple times at a pay-per-view. So yeah. I don't, I don't really need to see that. He's like the first figure authority out. figure in years they've actually treated with like a modicum of respect and um, credibility. I don't know why. You know what they did? They're doing. I'm sorry to cut you off, Shad. What they're okay. doing well that I like there is that they're not just playing 
the whole like a biased official, like the biased uh, banishment person. He actually does try to be like impartial. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the only the only reason that he is uh, kind of against Roman Reigns in any sense, like in the storyline, is because Roman Reigns like. Roman and his like little family of people just keep like fucking with him. So it's like he's Roman has pressed the issue. Mm-hmm. You mean what were you gonna say character Shadow? motivation? Oh my god, that's such a novel yeah. concept. I it's it's really weird. It, people have brought this up before, so I'm not making any sort of like brilliant observation. But people have brought up like uh, it like really are are the same people writing SmackDown and Raw, which it's be. like I. They can't be like I'm sure like there's a writing team, but it has to be someone who's really because it's if there is like a stark difference between the two. It can't. Bruce mm-hmm. cannot have anything to do with SmackDown because as soon as he, as soon as they named him head writer of Raw, SmackDown got markedly better like instantaneously. I am generally not that um, not that hot on anything in the WWE right now, and I mean that's across all three brands. But yeah, to the extent that there is like some decent stuff or, or stuff that is interesting at least going on in the WWE it's it's largely like smackdown it's yeah it, i would I, I would honestly say and i'd probably get burned at the stake for this online if you asked me to choose between smackdown and NXT i'd probably pick smackdown <laughs> i would i would agree actually it, i think NXT has a lot of issues yeah i, I couldn't issue, find I'm anything sorry. about pierce calling anybody out but and I'm not I'm not big on WWE stuff right now either. I'm honestly so burned out and tired and aggravated with the the fact that so many things that they could could so many things they do could just be so much better with just a little bit of thought or freedom to or just just a little bit of something that they can't let happen that I've I've just about written them off entirely. There, there's too but much. But I've seen. Hang, let me. I'm sorry, Brad. Let me okay. finish real quick. I've seen some clips of Adam Pierce doing stuff. Like there was the clip he gave Miz the Money in the Bank briefcase back because he's like, the only person who can cash it in is the person that's holding it. Someone else can't do it for him, so you get this back. Like he's being a reasonable authority figure, and then someone messes with him, so he goes back at him. For God's sakes, how is this hard? I don't understand how this is difficult. You know, I, 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 I don't. If you have any kind of grasp on storytelling, I don't know how this is a problem. But like you said, Pierce is working. People are getting behind him. They wanted to see him in the match. Why? I don't. I, I, I honest to God, can't don't get how this is so hard. What I was going to say is, there's too much. There's too much good stuff out there for relatively cheap to bother with it for me because, like, mm. you know, you can subscribe to New Japan World, you know, DDT Universe is out there, um, mm-hmm. even Impact for, like, the $8 is worth I mean, the time. Get TNT Drama Online and then you can watch AEW stuff. Yeah, because even, like, even, like, the ridiculous stuff because it just happened, like, the Karate Man versus Ethan Page thing, like, that was stupid, but at least they went so whole hog with it that it was entertaining. Yeah. And they, like... They steered into it. Well, they they embrace, like, how stupid things are. I mean, that was hilarious, though. I don't know if you watch, like, the gifts of it. <laughs> I, I saw some of them. Um, 
to drag us back over to Joe and Necro real quick, um, with the way the crowd was reacting, I looked at it like, oh, why are these, you know, I was like, why are these people so happy for all of this horrible, and like, oh, it's Philly, never mind. Well, I, I was going to say, I like that the crowd was not like a completely modern crowd, so you weren't getting, it was, it was so, I, I don't want to, I, I just cannot tell you how refreshing it was to not have the this is awesome chant like two seconds into the match like i was oh, so God. like and <laughs> Fight i it, forever da, 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 you know you know like, oh my god you know what needs to make a comeback because it was a much better chant where they were like fuck him up joe fuck him up like that was yes. such a better that's or, such, or sandman yeah like that is such a better chant but like <laughs> it was so refreshing that they were not doing like the shit you hear at every show like it was it was so nice yeah. i did i well and it's a very it was a very like honest raw reaction and so they're they're reacting in in a way that of, of what they're actually feeling and not being like we're at a show we're supposed to do these like the only time that i've heard this is awesome like so early in a match and not been mad about it was that shield wyatt family match where they were like they they milked the face off portion before they actually even touched and it the build up had been so hot like and on that one I was okay because it it like they were just building tension and it was like the compression happening a bit but then it's just like these two guys are circling around each other and they stop and it's like if you want to be a, if you want to be a great heel now you get out there and people start going fight forever you roll out of the ring you go grab the microphone and says you don't tell me what to do. I'm leaving. And you try to walk out, and they're going to hate your guts. Easy enough. No one's ever done it that I know of. So um, my overall thoughts on this is um, I'm a little like Matt. It, this is not my scene with, like, super bloody. I wouldn't call this death match. Um, I don't like the head stuff. I would still no. – I'm still going to say this is – this is probably an iconic match of its era, and if you're wanting to – if you're wanting to like if you're wanting to digest like all of the key moments of this decade that this match would be required viewing just because it is like important i do think it's i do think despite my discomfort with it that i would still call it a good match for the most part not a great match but i'd call it a good match and i'd say like it is important it's it's very the story is great because you have Joe as just this recognized ass kicker who comes in and the story is that Necro just keeps getting up and so even in this this solid convincing loss because he loses by knockout. He yeah. still pulls himself like he's still trying to pull himself up, but he can't get to his feet. Like, yeah, if you didn't know Necro Butcher before, now you get it. This is the dude who, you know, you could hit him with a truck and he's going to kick out it too. He might not be able to win, but the amount you're going to have to put into him, you know, it's going to take all day. Cool. This is this is important for an establishment, uh, establishing an important character uh in this era of wrestling and no i don't like this much blood the the heads the the head drops and the hits and the stuff just make me shudder because of the thoughts of what all goes into but 
it is uh, I'll agree it's important good uh, that's not really what I'm going for but it, it 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 has an important place I'm trying to agree with you and being too wordy about it I would um I would agree with you it's not it's not necessarily my cup of tea it's what I was the point I was trying to make earlier is that I, I would have probably really been into this match uh, when I was younger, like when it was when it came out at the time. When we didn't know CTE but, was a thing. Yeah, but now uh, as I've gotten older and we know a little more, it just really, really kind of makes me cringe. Like this, and I would say that this is like an important match for for both of them because I agree with you Shadow like it, it makes Necro it, it got both guys over in that Joe looked like an absolute monster killer and Necro just looked like a dude who like you could literally throw everything at him and he would still get up so it it really did even though he lost it, it got him over in a as like a kind of a tough guy unstoppable force type of way so that really did help his like mystique but it is like a for those who do watch it, I, I would almost give like a an advisory warning. It is a it is a brutal match to watch. There's a lot of blood. It's it looks again to me. It was almost like a work shoot where it's violent. It's very very violent and it looks very real. So it's a good match, but it's tough. It was tough to watch for me. I was like, oh, this is a it's an absolutely brutal match. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Let's let's go. Let's let's watch something else. <laughs> so we're going to move on to uh, Chikara. This is from actually their first eye pay per view called High Noon. This is the final of the twelve large summit, and this is to crown the first ever grand champion of Chikara. This is Mike Quackenbush versus Eddie Kingston. <clears throat> so I think this is this is um. This is a fairly simple match in its execution. So the idea is this is a championship match. Eddie Kingston's been selling like a bum leg for a while going into this. Actually, I think he sells it a couple months after this. So they kind of have a back and forth. Eddie tweaks the knee and Mike essentially goes on the attack immediately. So a lot of this match is Mike just working the leg. And um, eventually what happens is Eddie Kingston gets fired up makes his comeback, pretty much tosses Mike a couple times, then backfists to the future, pins him, and um, wins the title for the first time. There's a lot that goes into this. Like I said, it's just, it's a fairly simple concept of a match, but it's executed really well with a lot of subtlety to it. My favorite part of the storytelling in this match, because this is a very technician versus not technician style. You know, Quackenbush is doing a lot of <clears throat> complicated stuff, very technical stuff. And Eddie Kingston's response is to punch him in the face. You know, Quackenbush goes to time up with something. Kingston pulls an arm free, leans up, and just smacks a taste out of his mouth. The Kingston does... While I was watching it, I, I didn't keep track, keep count like I thought I would. But he only does a handful of moves, and they're all, ba- you know, standing lariat, back suplex. Um, you know, his his. I I I don't know why I didn't realize that his back fist to the future was his finish, but 
you know, his stuff is like the the uh, he pulls out a a um, Manhattan Drop once, a reverse atomic drop, and and that's that's like it. Otherwise, he's he's just brawling with him, whereas Quackenbush is trying to do all this really technical stuff. And so I love the dichotomy between the two. What I liked is Mike changed it up enough so you didn't get bored. Like, he switched the holds up instead of, like, say, like, Mm -hmm. a Miz or a Randy Orton match where they keep going to, like, the same move over and over again. Mike would be like, well, like, I kind of had you in this leg lock, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to, like, I'm going to take your legs up and I'm just going to stretch them over my head for a couple minutes because that'll, like, change the visual and um, kind of keep the fans interested. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Matt, it sounded like you wanted to jump think, in. Yeah, I think um I think Brad said this uh to both of us off the air, but it did have a very like like an old school NWA championship match. It really what it was worked like an old school style. Mm-hmm. Where you had you had one guy busting out all this technical stuff and the other guy like wasn't necessarily doing that. His his moves were more simplistic, but it came off very believable and everything that Everything that Kingston I felt did seemed very it like it mattered like it was a it was a very real move it felt very like organic it felt like logical mm-hmm. especially going with his character it's like if, if Quackenbush is going for all this technical stuff he's working over the leg and everything it's like yeah like Kingston it fit his character and it actually fit the moment at that time it's like maybe he gets out of that hole by punching the guy in the face mm-hmm. like that's it fit everything I thought Kingston's selling in this was really top notch yeah like it was really good um i thought when he was when he was having mike like when he and mike were smacking each other and you could just tell like kingston was like just getting more and more fired up and like you could just mm -hmm. tell like that flurry was coming i thought that was excellently done Mm -hmm. oh i absolutely loved the, the the final flurry that culminated in in him winning i thought it was great it was fantastic it uh, I thought that we also talked about this like off off um, off mic, but I loved the fact that all the wrestlers were like around the ring watching yeah. it and, and kind of you know pounded the the mat like getting into it like that actually added like so to me that added so much it actually made it it was something very simple but it, it gave it like this big time feel and yeah. it also like was kind of to me reminiscent of like a almost like a Japanese type of show where you have like the ring boys with the seconds out there. Yeah. Um, obviously more, more like energy. Cause I mean, in a Japanese, you're not necessarily like getting dudes like really excited, like pounding the mat per se. They're a little more reserved, but it just, it came off really well. It added like a lot of gravity to it. It made it seem like this, obviously this is for the, the inaugural championship, but it made it mm-hmm. seem like a really big deal. Yeah. Um, I actually another thing that I really liked that I want I wrote down in my notes that I wanted to mention. Um, I liked when Quack was working over the the injured leg. He did a couple things which I guess in could be considered like heelish, but I really lo- loved. And more people don't do this. It is more of a heel thing. But it, like he would, you know, he would get the leg in a hold, and then there was a couple times he like took like the point of his elbow or the forearm. Yeah. And he would just start grinding it into Kingston's knee. And it's mm-hmm. like, that is something that's so subtle and it's not done enough, but it does show it's like, you're not just, you don't just have the guy on the mat and you're, you're just like, all right, he's in a move, you know, 
and just get lazy with it. He's you're actively showing, and that's something that I loved when wrestlers would do. I would see this a lot, like in the NWA, WCW. I always loved it even when like uh, William Regal, who we're going to talk about in a minute. Like back in the day, like he when especially like in WCW when he would pin a dude, he'd like take like the bridge of his forearm and like just grind it into the dude, the like the 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 bridge of the guy's nose. Yeah. When he goes for a pin, and it's like that's such like a dick thing to do. Yeah. It's but it's also like a street brawler type of thing, but it actually adds something to the character because it's like okay, this person is trying to win no matter what it takes, but also she's trying to punish his opponent. And, and, and that works in the context of this. If you're, if you're, if if the whole concept of wrestling is that yeah. it's you know it's it's really worked, but you're supposed to pretend it's a shoot, then why wouldn't you have guys like try to do something like that? And I actually thought that Quack trying to bust that out worked really well for me. I really like that. The only thing I actually the thing that kind of the one thing that did take me away from this match mm-hmm. is I I don't I don't like dislike the guy um, as a worker. And he's if you look at who he's actually trained or had a part in training, it's like a lot. It's a laundry list of really talented people who have become big stars in the industry. But I'm not like the biggest Quack fan. And to me, Quack kind of has the, the same – he holds the same spot in my mind that I think like Zack Singer Jr. does in your guys' mind mm-hmm. where he does a lot of stuff which – um, almost sometimes seems like masturbatory. It's like – it's. <laughs> It's more flashy technical stuff, mm-hmm. which doesn't yeah. necessarily make a lot of sense. But at least with Zack Sabre Jr., like he's not a big dude, but for some reason he does. I, I know you like what's the what's the little uh, the kind of what you call him like little soccer man or something. <laughs> he looks like a soccer player. Oh yeah, because yeah. he's very like he's very like like lean and thin. But Quack to me, like he it I'm he takes me out of it because like Kingston. While not like a small dude, he isn't like you're in there with like Bruiser Brody or Brody Lee or some gig- like uh, some Wardlow, like a Jake Hager, some like really giant dude. But even so, like Quackenbush has like no physique to him. He, I would like, say, I, I, I might be like bigger than him, and I'm not like the biggest guy. On I, the planet. I would like, say, I'm, I'm a I would say, men's medium type of. Dude. I would say in defense of Quack, though, he doesn't have a physique, but he's not embarrassingly small either. He's not a stick figure, and uh, Matt, I you you I I believe you have a point. You know, he's he's not a a big physique guy, but I think his gear um, compensates for that really well because it's not he's not someone who's out there. He's like, oh, I'm wearing a shirt because I'm kind of scrawny. He, his gear like has a unified look, and it it kind of complements right. <laughs> it kind of. Um, it fills in in the places where where it, it you know he might be a little lacking in size and kind of accentuates where he's got some size with kind of the aesthetic pattern he has on it. Well, I thought that that was a good choice in terms of gear. He said um, he um he said on podcasts that um he was told like cause he was kind of uh, he was kind of like scouted a bit by other companies and he told he said people that are higher up said like. If he could just put on 15 pounds of muscle, like, he could have gone somewhere. And he said, like, he tried and tried and tried. And, like, he just, like, whatever genetics he has, he could just not add bulk. Mm. I mean, that, that is a whole other thing that we don't really talk about. But, I mean, not not everyone could be a wrestler. Not because, like, you can't be trained. But if, if you want 
I mean, wrestling is very much like aesthetics. There are some dudes who it's like, you just aren't going to be like a big bulky dude. Maybe if you do take like a ton of enhancements, like maybe, yeah. but, but not really like their genetics does play a part. Like I, I'm a dude like physically, like I will never be, I will never be like a Brock Lesnar type. I could literally like lift weights all day, yeah. every day for like a year, put on like a ton of muscle and I would just never be like, yeah. I would never be big as like physically like my frame and everything. Like I'm just not, it's not, I'm not predisposed to that, but he did. Um, I guess he did wear kind of like a rash guard type of thing, you know, where it's mm-hmm. like just the tight form fitting top, which he's not like a big muscular dude, but it did serve him well. Cause he was like lean and in shape. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This was though, I would say like, <gasps> this was the era of the two thousands where it's like, I actually cringed at their, their, outfits just because it's like the it's like every indie dude looked like that back in the day it's like the cheap <laughs> yeah. spandex yeah but it's like but it's not like you can fault them like they're just being cheap with their gear like that's just what the gear looked like back then yeah yeah because i think i think they've gotten a lot more options for that i was gonna say yeah. that when you're talking about the little things mike was doing it's the the, the callback i made to this while i was watching this is like this is what i wish wish brett hart had been doing during his match with bulldog Oh God! Mm. There was there was one part where Kingston, Kingston was like getting up, and I thought it was brilliant. I've never seen anyone do this before. And Mike like Mike like flat tired his ankle, to like stop him. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's like such a brilliant like shortcut dick move within like the bounds of the rules. Like mm-hmm. it looked like mm-hmm. it hurt. Like Kingston sold it well, but I'm just like, wow, that was such a great. <laughs> like shortcut but but what i wanted to say is i really like that mike knew he was losing and even like stuff like his facial expressions like he did a really good job of coming in as a face but immediately like working heel and like doing things to turn the crowd against him and just yeah yeah and i feel like brett fought it and whereas like mike knew what was gonna happen and he just was like okay well like they're gonna boo me, so I might as well like give them reasons to yeah. steer into it. That was the the biggest thing that frustrated me about that Brett Bulldog match is Brett wouldn't wouldn't steer into being a heel. Like that it's it's like dude, you're you're not the face in England against the British Bulldog. Steer into the heel stuff a little bit, but and you know. And I wanted I wanted to also compliment Mike because that bump he took on the back suplex looked great. It he, did. He looked it like really... he got murdered on that. And what I also liked with Kingston though is his selling was so good. Like when he went for that final pinfall, like he just kind of fell into it. Yeah. Instead of like, you know, forgetting the knee was there, he just kind of fell on top of him. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, he did a. <laughs> Kingston did a really good job playing a, a scrappy face here. And I, I, I absolutely. Agree I with also you. wanted to compliment it because, in comparison, like the commentary, like Leonard F. Chikarison is a really strong commentator, and I thought he did a great job here of like establishing importance, talking about their past here. They did a good mm-hmm. job because I think it, I think it was also I don't remember. I know is it, it was loud and noxious, but I don't remember his name, his regular name, mm-hmm. sadly. But he was the color guy, and I thought they did a good job of like pointing out some of like that there were people that weren't even active on the Chikara roster that were at ringside and stuff like that. 
Oh yeah. I think his um looking it up, his real name I believe is Jack um Duracos? Duracos, I think. I I think it's Greek. Oh, so I, I think um, really, uh, I think his his other screen name was Gavin Loudspeaker. Gavin Loudspeaker, correct, yeah. yeah. Um one thing I liked that um I guess I didn't think about it timeline wise, but they, they had kind of dedicated this to Larry Sweeney who had passed away. Uh, not that long before the show, probably within probably like a couple months, maybe before the show. Yeah. And I, well, they, they, they named the entire tournament after him because this uh, tournament was like this whole season of Chikara leading to the, yeah. But the 12 large summit was named in honor of Larry. Yeah. And we, um, I think we've mentioned it before in this show, but he really, uh, it's really unfortunate that he passed away, but he would have been like a, he could have been like a tremendous star in the industry. Mm-hmm. Like it, like right now with AEW and like imagine him in AEW, he would have been like uh, chronologically, he would probably be like in his early forties maybe. So he would maybe not be like a, the most featured of wrestlers, but the dude would be like he could have been like an amazing color commentator. He could be like a manager. He would have been like an amazing talent. Like imagine, I can imagine him in AEW. Like he would be huge. Yeah, he had a he had a feud, and I, I saw I saw at least one of their matches on DVD at the time. But he and Brian Alvarez had a feud in the two thousands. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, I thought this is one of my favorite matches of the last decade. I actually think it's a it's kind of a forgotten gem because it happened in Chikara. Mm-hmm. I feel like if this had happened in a Ring of Honor ring, that this would this would be talked about like in the annals of like great championship or like pay per view main event matches, which I think is mm-hmm. kind of sad because I, I, I do I would legitimately call this a great match if I was throwing around stars. I'd probably give this four and a fourth, maybe four and a half stars. Yeah, I could see that. I actually think that's fair. I, w- I would say it's at least a four-star match, and you could you could easily convince me after after maybe me watching it uh, at least once more. You could probably convince me to go a little higher than that. Actually, I think that would be fair. There was a lot of like good stuff in this. It's just there's so much sub there's so mu- there's so many subtleties to this, but I also think it's really it's really good at drawing you in. Mm-hmm. which I think sometimes mm-hmm. modern wrestling has trouble with. Like they really, and it's really, it's not like a super long match. I think it's like 18 minutes, but it really feels like it's a five minute match. It didn't feel that short to me, but it, the everything flowed and you didn't notice the passage of time because you were drawn in. It didn't feel like five minutes to me. It felt longer than that, but it did. It certainly didn't feel like a almost 20 minute match. It did move pretty like quickly. And it didn't overstay its welcome. They didn't try and go thirty. Like mm-hmm. I feel like if they tried to go thirty, it would have, like they they knew yeah. exactly how long to go. Yeah. And I thought I thought his comeback came at the right time and like was the right kind of comeback. Like I just feel like this is, I don't know if it's the best match that happened in Chikara because I'd have to go back and watch like some of the stuff um, during the BDK days, like mm-hmm. some of the Cesaro stuff. Well. We'll go by the Claudio Castagnoli stuff when he was like the top heel, mm-hmm. because there were some good matches in there, like the cage match, and like when they brought Dan O'Brien in. So <laughs> I'd have to see that stuff again to really classify it. But I'd say this is, at worst, this is a top five match in Chikara history. Yeah, this uh, I had. There was actually. 
Oh, I'm sorry, Chad. No, no, go, 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 go for it. I, I was just gonna say, like, there was a, there's a recent conversation that, um, that message board, that Facebook like group that I'm part of about that's that's based upon like the Wrestling Observer group. Uh, and there was like a brief topic not that long ago, within the last like month or two, about Chikara. And I was trying to sell that. I was trying to sell Chikara to people. I'm like, no, like people don't. If you if you've never seen it, you don't understand that. For a time period during the mid 2000s. Uh, maybe even to like the early 2010s, like there, Chikara was arguably the best promotion, the most wrestling promotion in North America. I'd say 2008 like just, to 20, they were they they were I'd say from like the start of the BDK to the shutdown angle, they were the best book mm-hmm. promotion in North America. Yeah, they were having consistently some of the best matches, and from a like actual storyline perspective the, like the the actual overarching story of the company and the booking it was probably like the best north american company for like a, a, a few years there there were those there was a period and i would stand by that and for those who have not seen it i would actually go back and then say to watch it and there's a lot of stuff you can watch like it, it, there's stuff like this match which clearly has a lot of like gravity to it and you can definitely get into it as a wrestling fan but there's also like plenty of stuff with like some of the sillier gimmicks that is good for like younger viewers for kids yeah and i think um i think chikara is the best live show i ever went to <clears throat> yeah you said you had gone to some shows i wish i had i wish i had had the chance to do but i never really got a chance I, but like so i think they struggle from what ddt struggles from is where people see the gifts of the really silly stuff and they think that's the whole promotion and then you're like well no that was like one or two undercard matches but then you get like to the main event and it was like a good technical bout with maybe like a goofy <laughs> gimmick, but like I there's a like there's a weird stigma to it because I like like you get you run into that with DDT if you tell someone you watch DDT they're like oh ha you know ha ha the funny promotion it's like well that's really just a segment of the promotion like the rest of the promotion's actually really good. Mm-hmm. The the funny stuff's good to have as a breather between everything else. So you're not emotionally wrung out by like trying to be invested in a bunch of high stakes matches one after another. It's like, all right, high stakes match, ha ha ha, silly thing, high stakes match, ha ha ha, silly thing. You know, it gives you a chance to breathe and relax a little bit, and that's that's nice. And I think with Chikara, what people don't understand is if you watch Chikara from show to show, they because of the way they sell themselves as kind of like a comic book, like you forgive some of the absurdities in the ring because of their by their own internal logic, that's fine. Mm-hmm. So we want to move on to our final match of the night. Sure. So this is NXT from 2013. Before like this, you know, people were hot to trot for NXT. Um, so this is William Regal versus Chris Hero, a.k.a. Cassius Ono, on just standard TV. Um, I want to say, though, that this is a really great match, but Brad Maddox tried his hardest to ruin it. <sighs> he was just not good as a commentator. He was annoying from about minute two. What I hated yeah. that he did is he pulled that, well, you don't know, you've never done it, and it's like, I'm sorry, but if I've watched, like... Especially if you're Tom Phillips, like, I'm sorry, but if I've watched thousands of hours of a sport or, um, you know, wrestling, I should be able to, you know, I'm pretty sure I have a good idea, 
even if I haven't done it, of what is going on. Mm-hmm. Even even if you haven't done it, you're still going to have – there's going to be some stuff that's not – some blanks not filled in, but that's okay. You're still going to have a great idea about what's going on. I don't think Tom Phillips <laughs> liked him. He seemed very put off by, by, <laughs> yeah. by it. it. It's – I was just so super annoyed. <clears throat> By the by, the commentary on this that it kept taking me out of it. Well, maybe um, maybe he was just a little perturbed that he had to do that instead of making sex tapes. <laughs> <laughs> Got to sit out here with clothes on. God damn it! <laughs> so, um. This gets to come back to what Matt said earlier about Regal being very good at the the small kind of roughneck stuff that you fill in that just makes everything look a little, you know, you look at it and you're like, oh, 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 that hurts to look at. Oh, you know, he, he does a, a lot of that in here. Um, I like this because this is like... This is like the upstart that got a little too mouthy with his mentor, and now the the old vet that hasn't done it in a while is showing the the young buck uh, what like what like <clears throat> doing this for decades looks like, and and all the stuff he doesn't like know, like the little like just just the way he fucked his hand into eternity. Yeah. Oh yeah. I gotta give. Ono hero, hero no whatever credit because they do this little spot where he's like trying to manipulate the finger, and I went back and watched it three times, and I don't think he's actually like disjointing it or something, but the way he's moving it makes it look that way. So you know, props to him, he's really selling that. Well, I liked when he was like in the corner, and he's obviously trying to like make sure his hand, like his fingers, are in socket because it just hurts. Yeah, yeah. There's like there's this really cool point at the end where you realize like Regal is just like concussed to hell and can't do anything and Cassius Ono like his hand is just destroyed. And so they're both yeah. just kind of like laying there trying to figure out what they can even do to each other because they've just damaged each other to that degree. Yeah. Re- this doesn't have the same dichotomy of style that the last match did. Um, and that's not bad. It's just after watching that, I was kind of like, oh, you know, I, I, I loved the, the difference between, um, Kingston and Quack so much that then we get this and I'm like, Hey, I shouldn't have watched them so close together. <laughs> was my problem. I feel like this though is like, this is almost, um, this is almost Vader and Obi-Wan esque like before, well, more Anakin Obi-Wan esque. Where you kind of have the young pup that's not quite ready to take out the teacher. Mm-hmm. So they're they're similar styles, but you have one guy that's just clearly a little pat over the hill, but still like ahead ahead of him because his mastery is so much better. Yeah. By the way, Regal's ring gear here looks so good on him. It did. Because he he's got he's got. Um... He's wearing black, so he's, it's it's trunks and tights, or it's it's trunks and boots. But 
He's got like these long knee pads that's kind of like a fuller knee sleeve. He's got the elbow pads and he's got wraps up his hands and stuff. It mm-hmm. it makes a really striking image as opposed to what he used to do that was, you know, trunks, boots, white knee pads, and then white tape. It's like this, this creates this image that it looks like Regal knows I support all of this stuff. I've been down this road. I know what I'm doing, and it makes him look more dangerous, kind of. I just, I really dug it. I, um, this was, I think, timeline-wise, this was after his, when he got popped for, um, a wellness violation. I think it was the second one, so he got, like, the 60-day Yeah, I don't suspension. think he had, I don't think he had been quite, I don't think he was very active when this match happened. No, right. and that's, and actually, I think, I think this is, like, not long before he basically retired. Uh, I was really, really upset because uh, when right before he got that, he was supposed to be getting like this big push, and I think I there was even rumors like maybe in the Observer or something that they're even going to give him like a main event push. Yeah. Which I don't know that they would have put like the world title on him, but that was like in the late aughts where it was like this weird period where they actually maybe could have put the title on him as like a transitional champ, but I don't know. They had him win King of the Ring and. He, I don't know if you remember. I will always remember this like clip of him. It's like he won King of the Ring and he was like sitting on the throne yes. and he had this like sinister look on his face and he looked like the baddest motherfucker on the planet. Like you knew, like it seemed like, oh my god, where they're gonna go with William Regal because he seems like intense and I'm I am interested in seeing what they're gonna do. And then I think like a week or two later he got popped for yeah. the second wellness violation. Uh, and that was basically the it. Like that, they he did. They didn't really do a lot with him. He certainly didn't get like any sort of major pushes after that. I think but. that was like Dude. 2008. So I think that had been well in the past at this point. I think so. I'm looking yeah. at it. That he only had. He he only had a handful of matches after this, but on like main <laughs> roster TV, he he only had three more appearances, and then he appeared. So his last televised matches, Fandango beat him on Raw, Wade Barrett beat him on SmackDown the same week, and then like a couple months later, Cesaro beat him on TV on Raw. Mm. And then on NXT in June, he teamed up with Neville and Corey Graves in a losing effort to the White family, and then Cesaro beat him in November of that year, and that was it for active matches. I want to go back to what Matt was saying about the mm-hmm. look that Regal gave. Regal has, I think, the best sneer. Oh yeah, that I can remember in the business. I modeled my sneer. After William Regal's, because when I would have my heel sneer, I would li- I would lift my lower lip up towards my nose, so it creates like um you know like a like a half circle out of my mouth and like you know it tilts my eyes down. I was going very much for a William Regal just disdainful sneer because it's so good. <laughs> There are two things with Regal I like um, from recent years, at least the last decade, is um, when they did the Cruiserweight tournament and they rehired Tajiri and Tajiri comes to the Performance Center mm-hmm. and Regal's just horrified. And then when they do those little <laughs> animated shorts, there's one of him describing why he hates Tajiri so much. 
Yeah. I, I enjoy those those little uh, the little animated shorts because the they're not long enough to kill the joke. The best one, in my opinion, is the Ron Simmons one on Mick Foley. Oh, I ain't doing that. Yeah, I ain't doing that crazy shit, man. <laughs> I have seen that one. Because he was like, I think it's something like, like, what, why don't you power slam me into, like, broken, like, ground-up glass and I'll roll around it and it's just... <laughs> it's just Rod like, no, man. No, I, 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 I ain't doing that. Yeah. I ain't doing that. Yeah. <laughs> Hearing Ron Simmons tell that story is great. Dude, who was it? Was it Mark Henry? Someone told a story about... Um, I think it might have been Mark Henry. I God, I forget who it was. Maybe it wasn't even in. Maybe it was in. I don't think it was in WCW, but some dude said when they were working with um with with uh, Ron Simmons, like they would, you know, they would like ride together, and he would work out, and he said that that Ron had that like raw bone strength where it's like he didn't even have to do too much, and he said that Ron, they go to the gym, and Ron would just like go in there, lift, like, ungodly amounts of weight, just, like, bench press, like, 400 pounds or something crazy like that, take a pause, like, start, like, playing with his hair, like, poofing his hair out, do, like, yeah. another, another like, set, <laughs> and just be like, all right, let's go get breakfast. It was, like, he seems like the, the like a fun dude to hang out with, probably. Yeah. yeah. Hey, I mean, we, we've Don't try and keep it. up with him. No. We've talked about it before. Like, he, I really wish that WCW had done more with him. Because the like the pop and the the emotional experience when he won the championship against Vader was like intense. I remember like marking out as a kid. Oh yeah. And I had, at that point chronologically, I had been watching wrestling maybe like six months, maybe a little longer than that. But I was like so into it, and I didn't really do too much with them. You know what I used to love is um, from the old Raws whenever they'd go to I think it was Boston. He and Bradshaw would go to that same bar and beat up the same people every Raw. <laughs> mm-hmm. I remember you mentioned that before. Every time they come back, it's the same guys in there. Yeah, I don't remember. It might not be. It, it's, I think it's somewhere in Massachusetts, but I, I, I think it's Boston, but I might be wrong. It's somewhere in the Northeast. I also liked when they did the, was it the Thousandth Raw? They're playing poker, and this huge <clears throat> pile of money just lands on the table, and they all look up, and it's Ted DiBiase. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> they look up, and he, he laughs. He goes, is that enough for the buy-in or something yeah. like that? <clears throat> I hate it, though, when they when they just kind of turned him into a catchphrase, though. I think he was a, he was he was pretty well done working at that point, th- so it's just a I think he was just an nice agent at the time. Yeah, but it's just a nice little joke to have for some stuff. I, uh, I was, I know, but I he's looking... better than that though. Like he's really, he's kind of like an underrated, like great star of the '90s. There's some stories that Delo in his his shoot interview from way back in the day tells about Ron, and you know he's having the he had a match with Vader, and and Vader's kind of slipping into J- Japan Vader stuff and unloading and D'Lo in the back of his head hears Ron Simmons go don't hit, don't you let him do that to you so D'Lo just cold cocks Vader in the middle of it and Vader kind of remembers where he is and softens up 
just the idea of, of Ron as a mentor like that. It, I, I hope that that's still happening a lot. Yeah, they said um, they said you had to watch out for Boss Man because he was a nice guy, but sometimes he'd get a little carried away and start popping you, so you'd have to like wake him up a bit. Yeah. Also, uh, I just found this because I was poking around looking for something. Arn Anderson apparently had the story on his podcast that the Steiners liked to rib people in the 80s and 90s, and they would not do it to Ron Simmons because they didn't want to cross it. I don't think um, I don't think saying what the Steiners did to people was ribbing. Like theirs is more akin to torture. No, 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 no. Like, uh, well, let me read this real quick. Okay, so yeah, okay. There's the. I'm sorry. They switched language and used it as the hazing process, but he said they did not want to do it to Ron Simmons. Yeah, I don't so, think anyone would. <laughs> so, you That's know. Also, that I, I've told the story about that segment on the on the thing because it does involve Ron Simmons, but it's also one of my favorites is that the, the Tuesday or Saturday Night Raw they did where Brock gives the Nation of Domination like Rolexes. Yeah. And Ron's all excited. He gets a picture of the rock or a painting of the rock, <laughs> yeah. like a giant painting that he's all pissed off. Like that one's great. He did such a good job. And I never heard any stories about him being upset about the rock moving up into that role, him losing his spot as like leader of the nation. Cause I figure Ron Simmons is enough of a professional that he's like, yeah, no big deal. You know, I'm, I'm up, but this guy's coming up. Yeah, we'll do, we'll do that business. Yeah, I don't. I never liked the the Farouk character as much as Ron Simmons, though. Well, yeah, it's 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 better if you don't start. Um, yeah, it, it's it it's better uh, if you if you don't start with a blue gladiator helmet. Oh, I think it was but, gold, wasn't it? No, it was blue. Oh, black. It was it was powder blue. I get him and whatever. Whatever dumb crap they had Bradshaw doing when he first came in. Wasn't he, like, cosplay Stan Hansen? Yes. No, he had, like, some dumb name, too. And Justin Hawk yes, Bradshaw? Yes, that, that was it. Justin yeah. Hawk Bradshaw. So, anyway, <laughs> um, I, I like the Regal Ono match. I would say... Um, I would say if you're going to do a comp of NXT, this one would definitely make it. I was shocked how remarkably cool Regal was with getting kicked in the head as much as he was. I mean, he did that. He did that world of sports stuff. I'm pretty sure he's used to getting kicked in the head. He he ate a lot of boots to the head, and he didn't like. He seemed to full on eat the things. I don't know. I mean, um, remember. Remember that picture I sent you when he and Moxley were at um, Bloodsport and just how like into oh, it he was? It. And he was probably like, yeah. he's probably like, damn it, I wish I could be like doing this. Yeah, they were into it. They were so into it. And I, like I said, um, like, you could tell Regal was sitting there like, man, like if only I could like have my boots and like be in there, like because you could just tell like he was he was just eating it up. Yeah. Um, one one thing I wanted to put 
on the end of this match is I love the knee trembler. Mm-hmm. I if I, I I wish that I would have been able to use it as a finish. Too many people would have been too scared to take it, even though there's plenty of ways to work it safely. But I, I love that. I would have loved using the knee trembler as a finish. It would have been amazing. But you know, <laughs> different time and not. It, it's to go back to something that from when when Duke was on, uh, Duke Allstriker was on with us. He said, you know. You see the stuff they do on TV, and you use some stuff that's similar because people see that, and they like to see it again, and it gets them excited. If, if, if the TV landscape had been just a little more similar to how it's been the last few years when I was working, I would have been in a way better spot because it just would have been more – more striking-based offense would have been you know, more – they people would have been more on board for it. But everybody was just so – uh, nervous about that sort of stuff at the time, you know, throwing kicks and, 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 and elbows and stuff and knees and stuff like that, man. Are you sure you can do that safely? It's just like, God, <sighs> sorry, mini rant. My apologies. You know, I, I'm thinking just about the need. To wish that's someone should actually just take that as their finisher. Do you have, um, I mean, you have guys like Kenny Omega using the V trigger, and you have um, you have Kota Ibushi using like the uh, the Kamigoye. So you have knee based knee strike based finishers, or and Daniel Bryan doing the yeah. Even the go to sleep Whatever. is popular. <laughs> but yeah. I think the knee triple like it, it's uh, it's very simplistic. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you can have a guy who's not like an Omega or an Ibushi type who obviously. Uh, I'm not going to call them high flying, but definitely like can do, they're like quick and agile and can kind of pull like, you know, aerial moves. Like you don't need to be that type of person. No, you, you can be a big old, you could be uh, like a heavier wrestler. In- yeah. I mean, Regal, like, while not like a, a, like a cruise, he made it very believable. You can have, you can have someone do that. Like I would actually like to see that. Oh yeah, I would love it. Cause you, you can't throw shade on that. Who who would say that's not a good finish? Some dude picks up, runs, gets a running start, and knees you in the side of the head. That'll put you down for a three count. But I guess, I guess to be fair, NXT has kind of driven it into the ground, haven't they? I mean, NXT's driven a lot of things into the ground, honestly. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I mean, I guess that's what Cole was doing and Gargano was doing and stuff. So yeah, I'm tired of like, it's really the super kick. I feel like it's gotten like just pummeled. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's funny. I just picked these randomly because I wanted to do, I'd been wanting to do Joe and Necro just because of its infamy. And then I wanted to do, um, Quack and Eddie, just because I like that match, and then I just kind of tossed Regal and Ono in there because I figured you two hadn't seen it before. And it wasn't that the the selection of matches oddly worked well together. I don't know why mm-hmm. they just kind of did. So it was a happy coincidence there. But I enjoyed all three matches. I thought this was actually a really fun look at like some more modern 
wrestling matches. Sure. Yeah, it, it gives you kind of a nice um, gives you kind of a nice overview for uh, a bunch of uh, different kind of kind of in that that lost era, but a bunch of you know different kind of things that were going on through there. And I think if you're like a newer fan and you happen to be listening to this, these are things you probably missed and no one like talks about anymore. Mm-hmm. So I would, like I said, any of these three matches I would highly recommend with, um, I think Matt's disclaimers on the Joe Butcher match are probably well to heed, though. Yeah. Yeah. Does anyone have yeah. any closing thoughts for uh, the show? Um, I have a couple that are not related to any of the matches that we talked about. <laughs> okay, I'm good. Go for it. Um, I really should have mentioned this like two weeks ago. Uh, and I should have even mentioned it last week. But uh, going back to the Brody Lee tribute show, um, I forgot to mention this when we were discussing it and even kind of mentioning the, uh, the EW tribute that they did. But there was two things that happened on that show which um, were done in character, but I actually felt it, it showed like how, how strong the character work is on some of the AEW workers. Uh, there were two things, there were two um, instances that happened in that show that I thought were great. One was when you had MJF going out there. He was teaming with Santana and Ortiz. And at one point, he like goes out to the ring and just starts like jaw jacking with mm-hmm. negative one with Brody's son uh, which culminates in Brody Lee's son hitting MJF with uh, with the kendo stick yeah um, it was done obviously MJF is working in character but then afterwards on Twitter <laughs> <laughs> on in Twitter he's totally in character he goes oh, I hate that fucking kid yeah. <laughs> it's like he's talking about I mean look in the real world you would be appalled because it's like he's talk he's he's cursing out the child of a guy who just died, like a, a grieving child, but it's so perfectly in character for him. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just brilliant. And then the other thing, uh, which is actually more of a heartwarming moment, was Orange Cassidy. When Orange Cassidy had his match, he went out there and he went to he went up to negative one, and in true like Orange fat Orange Cassidy fashion, he like the gave he gave a kid uh, a fist bump, but it's like. A half-hearted, like I'm kind of like mildly gonna touch your face. <laughs> yeah, it's very like you know King of Sloth style, but it was really like a cool moment because it's like he doesn't do that to people. He's not he's not going out there like slapping hands like a white meat baby face every week. He only him actually giving any sort of fist bump to anyone is like a big deal. Um, and of course he's doing it in his his true like half-ass fashion. But that was actually something that was really well well done in character they did a so they did a pull part brawl with negative one and marco's stunt on an episode of dark dark yeah yes it was hilarious yeah but i just like that the both orange cassidy and mjf both had um both like really strong character work on that show which also still fit with the um kind of respectful tone that they were they're trying to make the family feel good and honor brody lee and i i feel like you know if, if if Brody could see how that went down, like he would have been very happy. I just thought that was really well done. And I meant to mention that, uh, the tribute show. And I completely forgot until two weeks later. Um, the, <clears throat> the, I, I think Cassidy and MJF 
were in the same match. But the thing you had about um, MJF on Twitter got a hot mm-hmm. response out of uh, John Silver on there, too, which is also in character. You know, it's all the stories built up around it. It all fit together. I got to admit, I I appreciate um, the work MJF puts in on that character. Like, you know, dude works hard and he stays kind of sort of in character the entire time, too. Like, dude, dude works hard for it. And I got to appreciate that. And he wears a $900 scarf, that Burberry scarf. I looked it up because I was like, okay, I know that's supposed to be a Burberry scarf. How much would those things really go? Oh. $900. God. You have, uh, you've never, like, actually looked and seen how much Burberry stuff costs, have you? N- not until then. Yeah, I, um, I have a lot of clothes and, you know, I like, I like, uh, I'm not like high fashion, but I do try to like put outfits together. Mm-hmm. And at one point I'm like, oh, Burberry, like that's, that seems like it's a nice luxury brand. Let me actually like, look, and I went to like a store and I just like looked around and I saw the prices and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Never mind. Cause I saw like a really nice like pea coat. I'm like, oh, it's a really nice coat. And I think it was like, like two grand or something like that. And I'm like, it's uh, it looks nice on the model. That's uh, yeah. That's where it's gonna end. Ain't that nice? <laughs> yeah. That's like um. That's like um. I don't think they're as popular anymore. But like Coach purses back ten years ago. And um. Mm. But with those. Yeah. With those though, which was I always thought was ridiculous, was like my wife bought a knockoff, and you could not tell the difference between the knockoff and a legitimate coach purse. And I think she paid thirty dollars for the knockoff, and it looked like a coach purse. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, oh, okay. that's okay. Some of the knockoffs, I mean, really, really have their game up. Well, I mean, it, I mean, the thing is though, when you when, a lot of times though, when you make that stuff in China, they get done with your order, and then they just make more and sell them to someone else like is knockoffs so sometimes it's yeah. the exact same thing yeah yeah kind of like going to a ketchup factory where they just change the bottles and labels oh, that's what a lot of generic stuff is um like yeah. the kroger brand stuff and like maybe walmart brand stuff like sometimes it's the same place they just slap different labels on it Mm-hmm. maybe maybe they put a little more water in the mix yeah but that's that's it and wow you tell people that and they 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 get this look on their face like they tasted butt or something they just can't some people can't process it at all that brand brand is a powerful thing i did want to mention one thing though because i've been pestering shad for a while to watch some joshi and i finally got him to bite on something which was a Manami Toyota and Aja Kong match because Shad was a little intrigued by Aja Kong. What did you think of Aja Kong the worker after all these years of hearing how great she is? Um, part of I'm I'm gonna be honest. There's a little part of it that's that was adjustment, right? Like because the culture is very different than what I'm used to. But Kong is Aja Kong seems like very very competent, very capable. She's she was able to pick up Toyota and put her exactly where she was supposed to go very deliberately. And it it most of the time it didn't look like she was trying to kill her in the process. Um so it was <clears throat> you know 
I get why she's such a big name is because she's very capable. Um, I don't, I, I haven't seen enough to be like totally on the buy-in, but you know what I liked about that match because I watched it about the same time you did is um her growing disappointment every time she goes for the pin and Toyota kicks out and like she goes to half hardly argue but you can just see like the like damn it like I didn't get her. Okay, well here's the thing: it was was. Was Toyota is like her gimmick that her spine is indestructible. I think it was because I think that that was more about showmanship, trying to like show Kong that she she had like a lot left in the tank. Like I think it was more about not getting bullied. Like Kong would do what targeted the back, targeted her back, like the entire match, and then she would bridge out of a pin, I've, and I'm like. Um, I think that was about showing off and like trying to show that she was uh she wasn't going down. But what I liked about that though is the way they did a lot of the big spots, like that early like turnbuckle power bomb was totally just catching Kong like off guard. Then Kong being like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" Like I gotta just slow this down because mm-hmm. like she's gonna kill me. And then like the big table spot I thought was really good, but. I thought like the, the the way they worked it was really smart. Like most of her offense came off of like reverses of momentum and stuff. Yeah. But I I'm glad you enjoyed it because you did seem to have a get a kick out of it. I, I did. There was some there was some stuff that threw me, and it, it we discussed it, it's cultural difference stuff. But and that's that's fine. That's going to happen. But it was it was a good match. Um. Not quite as much selling as I usually prefer, but it was still it was good. Like I'm, I'm gonna pick nits at it because that's really the only thing I can say that's that's not that that's really all I can come up, can come up with, right? Yeah. So. Um, I think Matt had one other thing. He he said he had a couple thoughts that weren't related. Oh to yeah. It. So did you have another one, Matt? Oh no, that was I was just talking about the 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 two like Orange Cassidy and MJF. That was it. Okay. Yeah. Dead serious to everybody. The, you know, I think um, Collar and Elbow might still have those Shad Gaspard shirts in too. So if you want to do something that's, um, if you want to do something to help the that family out, you know, go get, dang on it. Do, do we do we want to mention that we we might have doomed Dustin Diamond to death last week? Because like we talked about that, and then I think like I think we talked about him on Tuesday, and then <coughs> was it Friday that they announced that he like has stage four cancer? Yeah, he has stage four cancer, which it sounds I mean, bad because he's in the hospital. You don't you don't he I mean you was. don't you don't want to have cancer at all. Yeah, but. If you you really don't want to have like stage four, that's just stage four is not state. If you have stage four, it's typically it's more about how long you're going to live instead of if you're going to actually recover. Yeah. Yeah. Which sucks. Um, He's in the hospital, so I I, I think it's pretty bad. I, I thought he had just got sent home, which is an even worse sign. But I don't know. Yes. Okay, I was right. 
Collar and Elbow still has both the Shad Gaspard and the Brody Lee shirts in. So if you get those, then the proceeds go to the help the families out. It's um. I just wanted to check and see if they were both still in stock. It's um. It's really sad that his death feels like it was so long ago and it hasn't even been a year. Yeah, it's it's been a it's been a hell of a yeah, year. Yeah, and then, then poor Ethan Page got his heart ripped out. I mean. I don't know what impacts doing showing that kind of graphic violence on the air. Right. Oh, that and I it, didn't want to talk about that. That I I saw some of the gifts of that, but Jessica Havoc, um, some of the stuff she was pulling out the pay per view was like really impressive, like that double choke slam. I haven't seen that. I think I sent you the gift where she double choke slams uh, Tasha Steele and Kira Hogan. I think if you did, I missed it. And then there's one like that same match where, where she catches one on a cross body block, and the other one goes to cross body block both of them, and she just catches the other one and power slams both of them. Now I did catch that one. That was a really cool spot. She has them like one handed. They like kind of help her on the choke slam because they both put a leg on her shoulder, but she like double like she. They, they try to get her in the corner and she pretty much gets them both by the throat and like walks out and double choke slams both of them. Okay, that's pretty cool. Yeah. It, um, I don't know how that pay-per-view went because I haven't seen it yet. I do know Alex Shelley could not compete for some reason, so they put Moose in, so it ended up being Kenny Omega and the Good Brothers versus um, Rich Swan, Moose, and Chris Saban. Yeah. Did you watch it, Matt? I think you said you'd watch some of it. Which one? The Hard to Kill. Uh, no, I did not watch it. Um, I wanted to order it, but I did not. Uh, and I didn't really have like a spare like forty dollars for it. But I saw a lot of clips from it on um, on Twitter. I was kind of trying to to keep updated on the results. I uh, I don't know where they're gonna go with this. Um, obviously, they're continuing like the the AEW Impact storyline, but I mean the main event was the AEW champion pinning the Impact champion, and he came out wearing a Bullet Club T-shirt. Now I know it's like they can maybe just do whatever they want to, like they can try and get away with it, but mm-hmm. I actually wonder if that means something more. I don't know. Yeah, like or I, are I, they trolling? They could be, but I mean, I guess I, I feel like. I feel like if 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 in if New Japan really didn't want that, like they could put the squash on it. I mean, obviously, if it's like live paper, you can do whatever you want to, kind of. I wonder if um, it, I wonder because of like some of the deals. I'm kind of wondering if the Bucks have North American distribution rights for the shirt. Oh, that would make sense. Yeah, but don't they? Uh, they don't own the copyright, right? I mean, they might for North America, is what I'm saying. Hmm. I don't know. I'd have to look at my Bullet Club shirt because I don't think it. I would have to see if there's a copyright on it. I mean, there's obviously like still ties. I mean, Moxley is still like the New Japan United States champion. Yeah, because I think he's wrestling Kenta soon, isn't he? Yeah, and that like that match is actually I think I mean it's gonna happen I believe in the United States, but it's he's still a champion. They they could have easily like decided to strip him and been like, well he can't defend it, so you know it is what it is. But they have not done that. There's obviously like I feel still 
connections or ties. Like I, I don't know. I I just this the the impact AEW stuff is interesting. Um, and uh, I don't know if you uh, as we're recording this, recording on a Tuesday night. Um, I'm seeing on Twitter that Private Party showed up on Impact, and they're going to be having a match against uh, the Motor City Machine Guns. Oh, that'll be good. Yeah, that's going to be like a good match. Um, and obviously, I think they're building towards Omega versus Swan. And I, I would think for a storyline perspective, you're going to see like Omega win the Impact title. But I think we're all kind of like wondering, like, is is New Japan going to be involved in this too? Like, is are they going to? Is there going to be some sort of working arrangement? I don't know. I think we a lot of people would want that. I would. I mean, I would want that. But if <clears throat> I think we can all agree, like, if it happens, it it can't. It cannot be the type of deal that New Japan had. With oh Ring of fuck Honor. no! They can't do that. That that, Where, that ruined Ring of Honor. Like jobbing. It did their ruin guys. Ring of Honor. Yeah, because it's like you wouldn't even get necessarily like the top guys in New Japan, like Okada. I mean, occasionally, but it's like here's um here's evil as here's a young like boy a, that's not yeah. Evil. It's like here's a uh, here's Sonata who you know gets like now is getting like a, a push, but uh, and it was it was like featured, but I mean like let's have Sonata and he's gonna like you know beat the shit out of all of your top workers your world champion's gonna drop a pin to him and at the time like that sort of stuff was happening it's like who would we say in like aew it's like maybe like uh i don't know maybe you have like uh sammy guavara going into like wwe and like pinning roman reigns it's like like sammy guavara is like a a pushed guy and he's a featured guy but he's nowhere near he should be like beating your main guy and like that's how like new japan was like it was a the power vacuum there was really heavy. Mm-hmm. Or, and it, or you'd have like... I could see why Ring Bonner did it, because it's like, well, we need bodies and seats, so... Yeah. We need asses and seats, so let's let's book New Japan guys. <laughs> but then people would defend it, and they'd be like, well, Jay Lethal won this tag like Rokata was on the other side, and it's like, yeah, he pinned like... He pinned like Tomahama, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, he pinned a jobber. He didn't pin Okada. Like, so it doesn't, like, he didn't beat Okada because he didn't pin him. He beat the jobber in the match. He beat Chase Owens. Uh... Yeah. Like, that that's the kind of stuff they did. And it really, it worked for a while because of the novelty of the New Japan guys. But then when the New Japan guys stopped coming over and, like, the novelty started wearing off. Or, like, if you were like me... And they're like, "Hey, Ring of Honor is coming to Columbus, and they're um, they're gonna have New Japan guys on this New Japan tour." And it's like, oh, "Okay, like let me look." Oh, it's Yoshihashi and Lance Archer. Yeah, pass. <laughs> <clears throat> no, that legitimately happened. They were like New Japan guys. I think it was like Yoshihashi, the Killer Elite Squad, and maybe mm-hmm. like Rocky Romero. And I was like, really, like. Yes, I'm going to pay $50 to go see Yoshihashi. No, thank you. Yeah. I've mentioned this before. Um, I actually might sign up, Brad, for that, the DDT universe, only because uh, Noah, pro wrestling Noah in Japan, which at this point... I don't know what number promotion they would be. Like New Japan, obviously, like, is like the top five, promotion. Probably. 
really they're not even like three or four no because like it it's it's um well, how would you rank how would you rank the promotion well, i know i know ddt's fallen a bit but like is a couple of years ago and just to say this might be a little outdated is new japan is top number one um by far far and away ahead of everyone else dragon gates number two i know they're still number two and then as of like a couple years ago ddt was number three and then um, I'm guessing Stardom starting to push up to four, and then All Japan is probably five, and then you'd get to like Noah. It's six, maybe. Interesting. But and even um, then, I'm thinking things like Tokyo Joshi Pro might start with like the expanded um, exposure might start to be creeping up, and things like. Sendai Girls and Ice Ribbon do okay, but like Joshi's in a weird place where there's like 12 promotions and it's like they're appealing to the same like couple thousand fans minus stardom that suddenly has all this money. Yeah. I uh, I might sign up for DT Universe just so I can see this February Pro Wrestling Noah show because in the last like, certainly in the last like few months, Pro Wrestling Noah has quietly kind of gotten really interesting. And allegedly, like, uh, their champion, Go Shiozaki, who, who's been around, like, a, like 20 years. Yeah. Like, he's he's been around. Like, he, he was the former, like, Triple Crown champion in all Japan. He's been with Pro Wrestling Noah for years. But he's been their champion, and allegedly he's been having, like, some really great matches. Like, I... Uh, they finally got someone threw... to invest. Like, because um, Cyber, who owns mm. DDT and Tokyo Joshi, bought... Noah, so they finally have like mm-hmm. some some stable ownership. Yeah, uh, he uh, has been having like really good matches. I've even heard like a couple of the matches he's had in twenty twenty were sh- should it be should be considered for like match of the year contenders. Yeah, there was one he had in. I, let me look because he just had a really good one that I had. I, I that's been on my list to watch, but. DDT Universe is actually a good value because you get access to Noah, you get access to DDT, you get access to Tokyo Joshi Pro, and like a couple of like DDT offshoots. Like literally most weeks, there's a couple new shows going up because you have different promotions to follow, and a lot of them don't have commentary necessarily, but um. DDT's fun. Uh, I I haven't really watched any of the Noah stuff and the Tokyo Joshi stuff's pretty fun. So I think it's mm-hmm. a good deal because it's nine hundred yen, which is like eight dollars and some odd cents. I might sign up for it just because there is. I've gotten. I've actually through Fight TV. I've bought a couple um, Noah pay per views recently, like the probably like the most recent ones in November December, uh, and I got them. Got them pretty cheap. I feel like it was only like maybe 15 to 20 dollars but there is a show coming up in uh, in february where it's going to be go shiozaki defending against keiji muto and i'm i'm really interested in that i i, I don't know how that match is going to be because muto obviously is coming back with like two repaired knees like two i don't know if he had them re- replaced completely or just scoped out but i'm interested in seeing that because uh, there's actually like it's 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 been like kind of well booked like Muto like said he was going to come for the title like months ago, and obviously things got a little delayed because of the the pandemic. But 
it's uh it's interesting that's the, that's i think what's kind of lacking a lot in wrestling today it's like if you if you actually have like a compelling storyline and like well booked stuff then even if you don't think the match is going to be like you know a, a five star classic it's still it's still get eyeballs watching yeah like that's what we're talking about you go back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the show it's like like smackdown it may not have a lot of stuff that's that's some of the in-ring stuff is good but it may not have not everything might be good but there's enough stuff there it's like hmm kind of want to see what they're going with this roman reign stuff if you have stuff that's like well booked it actually can make a, a huge improvement so i'm thinking of dropping that because if i if i buy that uh muto pay-per-view on fight tv it's like 20 dollars, i think which isn't which isn't like a, a horrible price. It's actually pretty good, but I can otherwise just sign up for DDT for like ten bucks. Well, if you and... if you sign up for DDT in February, you get the first month free. Even better. Yeah. I don't know that I would keep. I don't know that I would keep it the entire year. Just like have it a recurring thing. I may just keep it for like two three months and then drop it just because I have so much already. <laughs> I, I don't. Sometimes I'm behind on like AEW. Yeah. And between AEW, WWE, like New Japan, indie stuff, like that's just so much content. I don't think I don't think I can add like DDT Universe, but I might keep around for like a little bit. I find DDT is really easy to digest in like a match here and there because the matches tend to be mm-hmm. a little shorter. Well, I mean that is something that I will say about like New Japan, like their big shows like Wrestle Kingdom. The matches are, they're going to be like the best matches you'll probably see most of, like in the, if not for the entire year, they're going to be, they're going to be ranked up there. But the problem is that some of those the big matches are like 45 minutes long. Yeah, they need to go back which, to a singular night because it's too hard. It's really hard for me to get through two nights yeah. of Wrestle Kingdom and get New Year's Dash in to kind of see where the next year is going. Like, thankfully, like you get a break after that, but like. I already need to turn around if I want to keep up with it and watch like the, the shows that just came out. But it's really hard to get through like 10 to 11 hours of content in like three days for me with wrestling because like I usually like if I'm having a good night I'm, or on a weekend, I might be able to knock out a two hour show. But like I think a three hour show some weeks can take me like four or five nights to really get through. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you you saw that they're doing two uh, two nights of WrestleMania this year, right? Oh God. I mean, I think that's fine because it's it's still it will still be in the the for lack of a better way to phrase it the pandemic era. But I mean, they are allegedly going to be moving forward next year with in person. I think they're supposed to actually going to be doing in some limited in person. For WrestleMania this year, but That's... next year, next year they're supposed to be doing like I think they're planning on you know as many people as we can cram into a stadium, and they're because they're going back to AT and T in Dallas. I think they could, which it's like I've... they're they're getting close. Uh-huh. I think they're going to bomb a WrestleMania here in one of these years. That's I, probably I... what it's going to take to get some, any kind of substantive change. I, I don't, don't know how they're going to fill the stadium if they're planning on trying doing it next year. Like the the product is so cold. I don't know if they. Yeah. I don't know if you. I don't even know if things will be back to normal enough that you should even be trying to like run a stadium because I don't even know if you'll be allowed to have it to capacity next year. Yeah. Uh, it 
I think a lot of things depend. I could. I don't even think. I could see them allow it. I think they could. It could happen. I don't I, even it, think. Are they um, going to have like that many people? I don't. I don't know. The way the vaccine's going, I don't even think like that many people are going to be vaccinated, like soon enough to ha- to be able to sell like all those tickets and have faith that. We're not on. Untr- there was there was a push to get a million people a day vaccinated. It's not going to happen. That like, in Ohio, that has. Yeah, that hasn't been happening yet. And you think about that. If we were doing a million people a day, a it would still take a year to oh, actually it would take over a year to get everyone. But, and that's just not. happening. But like where I live, they're not they're only they're only vaccinating currently. And I think they've been vaccinating for a week or two. They're only doing people over 80 right now. You know what? I'm fine with that because I think the, the people who are older, they're at ri- they they are most at risk. I think you should prioritize yeah, those people. I, I agree with that. I'm just saying, like, I think because um, my wife's asked about that, and I said honestly, like the way it's going, like for people like us, I said I would I would say like best case scenario maybe like May, but I'm betting like November December is like the soonest you would probably be able to to get it where we would fall on the list. <laughs> I, I'm not really anticipating it before like the summer. No, I actually think cause I I I now live in Virginia because I we were in this in DC and we just moved to in out, just like literally ten miles outside of DC into northern Virginia and Virginia apparently has been like pretty bad about the vaccine rollout. Well, I mean, nothing can be as bad as New York has been. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there it's horribly mismanaged. Literally throwing dosages in the trash because because you know obviously the people the government when government is getting involved in in that it's it it, things go sideways when you have a literal sociopath running your state that seems to like just love making the wrong choices and then pretending like he did a good job i mean he's not doing a good job and i know we don't really talk about politics on the show it it, that's not we're not making a Republican versus Democrat no, argument. It's just there are some governors who are doing a, a good or an adequate job at least, and there are people who are completely they have like their their ass their head up their asses, and he's one he, of them. He he would be other than other than I would say a certain governor in a state that borders my state, who also has her head up her ass. He is far and away the worst. Mm-hmm. Like there's other people I think you can you can nitpick, and I think some people made some bad choices. But I feel like most other states, regardless of party, have tried to do what they've thought is best, regardless of outcome and some mistakes along the way. But he is, he has seemed almost intent on getting the most people killed and handling it as poorly as possible and making it as painful as possible for the people that live in his state. Well, I think I saw I uh, there was a headline. I didn't read the article, but I think I saw a note that in Florida now they that the state government has worked out a deal with. Is it is it Publix or something? They worked out a deal to actually get the vaccine administered through like one of the the main pharmacy chains. It might be Publix. In in Kentucky. Kroger has little clinic locations in them, mm-hmm. and they are partnering with Kroger to run in little clinic to run vaccination sites. 
uh, along with, you know, hospital collectives and stuff like that. So there, there are some, some places they're <clears throat> getting out and doing stuff. And then some places they're got like, you know, almost half the people refusing to take it when it's offered to them. So whew, I don't know. I, I just looked it up guys. Uh, it it is like Publix. It looks like um, it looks like more than a hundred Publix stores in in Florida are going to be offering doses dose dose. Okay, I can't talk doses doses to seniors sixty five and older in um, rural different counties, which I actually think is a good that's a good strategy. I think you should get like the, the big pharmacy chains involved. That's what I've always said. Like I think if you really want to get it widespread. Don't just be like, well, come to like these like specific hospitals. I understand like hospitals should be administering it first off, but if you if you really want to get it widespread, get as many doses as dose. I can't talk. Why can't I talk? Sure. Yeah, as many doses as you can to uh, like the pharmacies. Like if you cool. could make it where every like local CVS would have some vials of the the vaccine, then that would just really make it easy. Cool. I understand like obviously supply is an issue. It's always been an issue, but it's also like kind of trying to the actual infrastructure of getting it out there. Well, I think and pharmacies are well equipped to, to yeah, get it out there to most people. I mean, that's that's how you get like the flu vaccine. I think, but I think it was it's kind of dumb too to be like, hey, person that is probably high risk of dying of COVID, come to this hospital that's just crawling with COVID to get a COVID vaccine and pray to God you don't die from COVID before the vaccine like does its does its job. You guys still there? I'm here. Yeah, still here. Because I think I think I go to the pharmacy. Like that's a little easier to take. But like a hospital, like especially right now, like I think certain people are not going to want to to walk into a hospital because yeah, you might get the vaccine, but like vaccines not like an automatic. You're good to go. Like there's some some things have to happen internally for it to work. Like, so I think they're, I just don't think a hospital is necessarily a great idea for certain people. Well, people might not want to go to yeah. yeah. I mean, there were some local vaccination sites near me that instead of doing it in the hospital setting for exactly what you said, they set up a space elsewhere and they, I mean, they set this up professionally rotating people through. So, you come in, you do your intakes. They've got everything spread out. They sanitize after each person. Uh, yeah, you know, heck, I've had I've had around one of mine. I went because because of my job and and when I'm you know, if I go walking into the into uh, detention facilities a lot, then they were like, hey, let's do that. <clears throat> so I went in. Uh, it took me. Minus the 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 twenty minutes they have you hang around after you take it to watch for like allergic reactions and stuff, whole thing took ten minutes, and they they didn't have it set up at a, a medical facility, but they had it set up where they could control what was going on. So it's working some places. I, I, think, I know that's personal anecdote. I think my but, concern with the vaccine is I think um, my my real concern is is we're going to see a spike here and. April because a lot of people are going to get vaccinated. They're going to be like, well, I can't get COVID. I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want. And then they're going to infect a bunch of people because if you get the vaccine, you can still, 
be carrying it. You just don't have it, so you can still be contagious. And I don't think, I think because there's a lot of selfish people out there, I'm worried we're going to see more cases because of people not being like, well, I'm vaccinated, so it doesn't matter anymore, and then just infecting unvaccinated people. Maybe. And I also know, like, there's people that, for some reason, don't pay attention and don't know they need the booster, so that's going to be interesting. Yeah. But I also think, yeah. I also think, though, along the same lines, I don't think people that are getting vaccinated don't understand that, like, it's not kryptonite. Like, you can still, like, it's it's a much, your chances are greatly, 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 greatly diminished, but you can still get it. So you need to still behave yourself. Because it's like the flu shot. Like, like if you get the flu shot, like your chances of getting the flu are greatly diminished. And if you get the flu, you don't get it as bad, but you can still get the flu because nothing is 100% foolproof. Yeah. I think we might have hit the rat point guys what do you think yes uh i think yep. so. i sorry that stuff's just been on my mind because i um i know a lot of people that have gotten covid in the last two months quite a few actually mm-hmm. a lot like i think i'm into like the six or seven people i know that have gotten it in these last yeah. spikes and it's getting to that point where i don't know i don't know how many good people you guys know but like the people i know they just don't know where they got it like it's getting like crazy how I, I mean, I, I haven't really talked about it, but my, my sister-in-law, my wife's sister, was supposed to come here for Christmas and was not able to because she lives in L.A., specifically L.A. County. And it is just so rampant there that she just didn't come. It's not. I mean, obviously there are kind of like travel, uh, I don't want to say like restrictions, but there are definitely concerns about people coming into and out of L.A. But she, it's so bad that Basically, she doesn't. She rarely like leaves the house, and it's not even like that's not even like just being kind of like doom and gloom about it. It's just no. It's like it's so many people have it there. The more interaction you have with people, it is you're exponentially increasing your risk. So she didn't even want to like get on the plane and come here, and she she was running the risk of exposing herself. If she were to got it, she was running the risk of exposing us. I. It's just like it's bad. It's bad. Scene. I don't. It's really bad. I don't. I don't go out anymore because I um, I, mm. I go to my office once a week just to help with some things, and I got exposed. And the person they told us the day it happened, so the person obviously knew they were either sick or had a pending test for us to find out that quick. And I got exposed, and I just don't go out anymore, because because stuff like that happens. It, it was ridiculous. Like, I would have understood if, like, they told us a couple days later because them's the breaks. But it's the fact that they told us, like, a couple hours because they figured it out. Like, they they had to have known something wasn't right to come, you know, and they shouldn't have come in that day. But that, that was kind of, like, the straw that broke the camel's back. And I'm just like, you know what, like, I'm just not going to go anywhere anymore because <laughs> because people don't think – all righty. Well, guy, everybody out there, thank you for uh, for joining us on this episode. We do appreciate you uh, t- 
tuning in. What did you think of these three matches? Are there matches you would like for us to cover in the future? We would love to hear from you. we done requests before. We will do them again. Please hit us up through any of our social medias. And so, this is Shad here with Matt and Brad. We've been in three corners. You're in the fourth, and we will see you next time. <laughs>